So when I mention the word delight, uh, what comes to your mind? Now, for me, it's generally something positive that pops into my head. Uh, we just survived another uh, Christmas season with the kids, and the term delight actually comes to mind many times when I think about just the time that I've had to spend with my family. You know, I delighted in seeing my kids uh, open and enjoy their presents uh, for about five minutes before they started asking for more. <laughs> um, I delighted in spending time with friends. Uh, we had some good times together. I delighted in eating a lot of really good food. Um, all of these are positive. Uh, whenever I think of the word delight, I think of something positive. So when I come to the Bible and I read about someone being delighted in something, I expect to see the same kinds of things uh, when I consider um, positive things and delightments. I expect to see someone taking delight in a pleasant or a positive thing. But this is just another instance for me where I'm reminded that sometimes the way that we think, especially for me, the, the way that I think about something is not the way that God thinks about it uh, when he thinks about delight. So one of the guys here gave a Lord's Supper talk from Isaiah 53 a little while back uh, and mentioned verse number 10, which has always been a little confusing to me. Uh, in fact, if you want to go ahead and turn over there, we'll look at those two verses in just a second. So I was in Ember Hills last week. We were with Reese, uh, worshiping with him. Uh, and Tim Broadwell, so I, I apologize for a couple that were there last week as well. Uh, but he kind of, he mentioned a passage that we'll also turn to in a few minutes that helped shed a little bit of light on Isaiah 53 verses 10 and 11 to me um, and helped me with some of that confusion that I might have sometimes. You know, I also referenced these two verses last month uh, when I took us through the song, How Deep the Father's Love. And in verse number one, I'll just read you what that song says. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. So I use those two verses in Isaiah 53 uh, to, to reference that song as well. So Isaiah 53, verses 10 and 11, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And we'll focus on that first part in just a moment, but it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. There it says that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord to bruise Christ. Or some translations, much more literal ones, say Yahweh was delighted to crush him. Speaking about Jesus on the cross. Yahweh was delighted to crush him. So again, in my small, my simple mind, that seems a little off. Especially thinking as a father, that phrase just really doesn't compute very well for me. Um, I, I have a hard time seeing that clearly. How could it please, how could the Lord take pleasure, how could a father delight in bruising his son? Or as the translation literally says, to crush his son, especially to the point of the cross. So I figured there's got to be a much richer, a much deeper meaning uh, to that phrase. And so, Tim, last week that, um, that I heard mentioned Micah chapter 7. So go ahead and flip over there. We'll spend the rest of our time in Micah 7. Keep Isaiah 53 in mind for just a moment. But turn over to Micah chapter 7. And Micah is a prophet to Judah. He also speaks to the, um, the nation of Israel as well at the same time. He was a contemporary of Isaiah. So I think it's kind of cool that, that these passages might relate to some degree. And as you read through Micah, it's a story of judgment and compassion just over and over. 
Judgment, compassion, judgment, compassion. You'll keep seeing that theme throughout. And the story that Micah presents reveals that God has no rights in anything. Anything that he does, anything that he is. His ways, his thoughts, his strength, his righteousness, uh, even his indignation and his anger are mentioned as well. But highlighted at the end of the book is also the fact that he has no rivals when it comes to his pardoning of sins, uh, his compassion and his love for sinners as well. So Micah here makes a play on his own name, which means who is like the Lord or he who is like the Lord possibly, but, but who is like the Lord. And so really the whole book deals with that. Who is like the Lord? God has no rivals in anything that he does. No one is like the Lord. So let's read Micah 7, verses 18 and 19. And again, thinking about Isaiah 53 and verse 10. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. I think that's such a beautiful passage those two verses together. And it kind of helps me understand or put into context a little bit better. Again, Isaiah 53, and especially verse number 10, when it says, Yahweh delighted in crushing his son or him. So look at verse 18 there. First of all, I think that we need to praise God that he does not retain his anger forever. Because that's what we deserve. We deserve God's anger. But he is a God of love and mercy and forgiveness. And this has always been his plan from the very beginning, from the very start. And I'm confident, I know that God did not enjoy seeing his son on the cross. That's not what Isaiah 53 and verse number 10 is talking about. It did not please God to witness his son, the creator, the savior of this world, being beaten and whipped and spat upon and mocked, falsely accused and ultimately crucified. That's not what pleased God, to see all that and to witness that. He did not take pleasure in that. That's not what he delighted in. He was looking forward to offering forgiveness. He was looking forward to offering his compassion and his love and his mercy for you and me. So God's pleasure is in what the Son accomplishes in his dying on the cross. Not in the fact that Jesus was on the cross, not in seeing him suffer, but what his Son was accomplishing in dying on the cross. And still, that's a little tough for me to understand as well. Um, you know, that God from the very beginning, he looked forward to a sinner like you and me, an enemy of his, accepting his grace and mercy knowing that that was his plan from the very beginning because of his great love for us. He delighted in the future for sinners like us, although it would cost him a great deal and would cost his son an even greater deal. It says at the end of verse 10 back in Isaiah 53, the pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Now I take that to mean that God's pleasure is not so much again in the suffering of the son considered in and of itself, but in the great success of what the son would accomplish in his dying. That's the prospering that he looked forward to. He took pleasure in and he delights in you and me being forgiven of our sins through Christ's sacrifice. Just like some of the conclusions we had Thursday night from our Revelation study, God is so merciful. God is so willing to give us chance after chance after chance. And that's what he delights in. He delights in giving us that opportunity. His true delight is extending mercy to sinners. Again, that's tough to understand. Yeah, it's tough for me to comprehend that his delight is an enemy of his, accepting his grace and mercy. Knowing who I was before, he offered that to me. His delight was in the fulfillment of his plan to offer his son as our redemptive hope. 
That's what he delights in. We have to remember that God saw the cross. He saw Calvary from an eternal perspective. It's a, it's a way that we don't view it many times. But he saw it from eternity, from the very beginning. And he was delighted in it. It was his pleasure, God gloried in it, that God would show the wonder of his grace to worthless sinners by bruising his son. Then look at verse 19. It says, he will again have compassion on us. That word compassion means to love deeply or to show pity or mercy. Or another translation even says to tenderly regard someone. And that's how our Father looks upon us. He looks on us with compassion. Even after our sins have angered him, we already read about that, or disappointed him, leading to his son being a necessary sacrifice for us, God the Father still tenderly regards us. And this word, this tender love or compassion in Hebrew is the, word of the, the root of the same word for womb. You think back to Isaiah 49 and 15, just picture this. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? That's how the Father looks upon us. So to me, it makes a little more sense that he would delight in forgiving us. Because he looks at us as his children, and he has compassion on us. Because we are his children. And it's the same way that we look at our children, but again at a higher and a greater level. Again, God has no rivals. Verse 19 also says that he will subdue our iniquities or help us to bring under control our immoral behaviors. And that's a part of his delight as well. That God can help us through the offering of his son, through bruising his son, through crushing his son, to bring our sinful nature under control. Praise God for his power over sin and the ability that he has to, to lend us some of that so that we can also control our sin. And I really love the end of the verse as well. Something else that we should delight in. It says that he will also cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You know, think about that level of forgiveness. Again, it doesn't make sense to me because I can't do that. It's one that I would dare to say that we are absolutely incapable, incapable of, and that's why it's hard for us to comprehend it. He not only overcomes our sins, he not only helps us to subdue our iniquities, but he casts them to a place where they cannot ever be retrieved. Thank God for that. That is complete forgiveness, and we should delight. We should take pleasure in that. Thank God for his immense compassion, his will to forgive and forget sin, and covenant faithfulness to all generations, and delighting in that. Thank God that it pleased our Father that he would delight in bruising his son for our sakes, and that he delights in mercy and grace and forgiveness and in our obedience as a response to this offering. We should delight in remembering his son's sacrifice and offer ourselves in return. Let's consider these thoughts as Carlos comes up and, and leads us in prayer for the